Welcome to Talking All Things Cardiopalm. I am your host, Dr. Rachel Barisi, physical therapist and board-certified cardiopulmonary clinical specialist. This podcast is designed to discuss heart and lung conditions, treatment interventions, research, current trends, expert opinions, and patient experiences. The goal is to learn, inspire, and bring cardiopalm to the forefront of conversation. Thanks for joining me today, and let's get after it. Hello, hello, and welcome to today's episode of Talking All Things Cardiopalm. I am your host, Dr. Rachel Barisi. Our episode today is sponsored by Jane, an all-in-one practice management software. The team at Jane recognizes how hard you work to support your patients or clients, and they aim to do the same for you. That's why Jane offers unlimited phone, email, and live chat support with every subscription. First, we recommend booking a personalized one-on-one demo with a member of their team. It's a great way to make sure Jane will be the right fit for you and your practice, and to see Jane's features in action. And Jane even offers a free data import, an account setup consultation, and online training tools to help set you up for success. To get started, head over to jane.app backslash start. Their team would love to connect with you to see how Jane could help you and your practice. You can also use the, co- the code CardioPalm1MO at the time of sign up for a one-month grace period applied to your new account. Thanks again, Jane. All right. Welcome. Happy Wednesday. I'm a little bit late uh, recording this week, and this is officially my fourth attempt. Um, so first of all, um, I am in my dining room. So welcome to the dining area. Uh, this is actually one of my favorite rooms in the house, probably the most decorated room in the house. As you know, we're pretty uh, DIY oriented around here. So uh, when we finally got through most of the painting, um, like on the first floor, we still have quite a bit of decorating to do because we still have to do the popcorn ceilings down here. But uh, some things behind me, if you're on YouTube, um, gotta get my pointing right. This wine rack here, we actually made in Ypsilanti in our apartment. So picture the two of us sawing through wood, literally in the middle of our living room on carpet. And then we stained it um, on a tarp. And I just remember praying that the stain wouldn't seep through and the tarp was gonna do exactly what it was supposed to. And thankfully it did. So we actually have matching one on the other side. Um, But it's one of my favorite pieces that we've made. It's a little bit rustic, a little bit industrial, um, a little bit modern. So kind of our MO. And then this window behind me is actually from Nikki's aunt's house. I love the look of a window. I actually have a couple of more that I'm going to uh, paint and potentially turn into um, like a a frame. So we'll see kind of where that goes. And then right behind me, it's hard to point on this thing, uh, is my grandmother's tea set. So um, apparently silver tarnishes and when it oxidizes with oxygen, it creates this like rainbow greenish color. Um, So I could polish it, but I kind of really like the tarnish look. So we're just going to keep it as is. So welcome to my dining room. We are in a different location today because Nikki is quarantined downstairs and we're doing our best to keep the COVID out. Uh, So I'll probably do an episode on that, but first I have to make it out unscathed. And I wasn't even going to talk about it because I'm just trying to not put 
any of it in the universe. So just keep the good juju coming for me. But I had some issues with my mic. I tried to use my portable mic this morning and it just sounded too tinny and echoey. So uh, I have my normal-ish setup now. Um, you know, as you start doing podcasting for a while, you, your ear starts to get used to a certain sound. And when you're listening to a podcast and it's super echoey and it just sometimes is uncomfortable to listen to if the sound isn't right. So hopefully the sound is coming okay um, on your end. And so we're going to kind of jump in today. So what I wanted to talk about today was actually about a conversation that I was having on Twitter. Um, so Shelby, if you're listening, thank you for this idea. I think it's an important piece of uh, information to kind of chat about. And it's something that I do get asked quite a bit. So this is a great conversation point. The question is uh, pointed at acute care PTs and basically asking who's in charge of administering chest PT, the PT, the RT, both, or just no chest PT. Um, so I think there's a lot of semantics and there's like underlying questions within this question. So I'll answer the first question, just the, if we're black and white and being literal, whose who's responsibility or who should be administering chest PT? The answer is both. Both PTs and RTs should be providing chest PT. If the patient requires that intervention, overlap is going to be the give the patient the most bang for their buck. It's going to give them the best outcome. Because it is something that if they're making a lot of mucus, um, it's something that they should be doing multiple times a day. And on either front PT or RT, the likelihood that you're going to have the time to perform chest PT three times a day is probably not likely. So I'm going to talk about chest PT a little bit. There's a little nuance in chest PT. I don't love the terminology because it's kind of a vague word. And if you kind of, you know, you want to be a little bit about it. The word PT isn't it. So when other people are doing chest PT, I'm just like, it doesn't truly make sense. But what is chest PT? Chest PT typically is talking about a specific intervention, which includes percussion and vibration or shaking, you know, if you really want to get technical. That's typically what people mean when they say chest PT. I like the bigger word of airway clearance techniques because there are more things that you can do with a patient. And not everyone benefits from chest PT. Not everyone enjoys the physical percussion vibration. Some people actually do better with air, um, breathing exercises that can help promote coughing. Um, so it just kind of depends. So let's kind of talk about the underlying layers of this question. When I read this question, I'm automatically thinking, and this is me reading into things, there's another question here. So a question that I do get that's black and white is, can PTs perform percussion vibration shaking? The answer is typically yes, but there's like you know, we got to dive into it a little bit. So it's very location-based. So always check your state's practice act first, um, just to ensure that it is in your scope of practice. That's step one. Um, in both Missouri and Kansas, because we share a state line, I'm licensed on both sides of that state line. 
Um, the verbiage is something along the lines of in interventions, physical therapists can perform airway clearance techniques. Does it describe exactly which ones? No. So it kind of keeps that broadness, vagueness open, which is nice. Um, other states might explicitly say, no, I haven't come across a specific practice act that says absolutely not. But if you are in a state where uh, as PTs, you're not allowed to titrate oxygen or you're not supposed to be doing airway clearance techniques and you have that verbiage, please share it with me because I would like to see how that's written. Um, so first of all, check your practice act because it depends where you are. And then it really comes down to culture. And culture is a big thing, right? It's not just culture in the hospital. It can be culture in your PT department. So what is the culture of your PT department? What is the culture of your PTs? What are your PTs doing for intervention with these patients? Are your PTs doing breathing exercises, airway clearance techniques? Are they checking vitals? If the answer is no, that's probably where you need to start. Meaning maybe we need to do some in-services for our own department about the benefits of breathing exercises, airway clearance techniques. And I am going to throw vital signs in there because it is paramount to helping patients improve, especially in the acute care setting. If you're the first person who is starting to do these interventions, I'm just going to be very honest with you. It's going to take time. From experience, culture is probably the hardest thing to change. So proceed with caution. Proceed with confidence. Articulate benefits. And understand that change takes time. Now, if your PT department is already on board, they're already doing these things, then it's easier. Then the question is most likely, and this is my question to you, is there like a turf battle happening? Is there, is there like boundaries between PT and OT that, uh, I'm sorry, PT and RT that have been established as like uncomfortable? That's also culture, right? So that's going to take time to kind of break down walls and create relationships and communication. But if you listen to this podcast and you have listened to other episodes, I say this a lot. It is really important to create relationships on an interdisciplinary front. Because of this reason, right? You have to establish rapport with your colleagues about the things that you can do. We've talked about... Um, culture in the words of acute care of like, you just walk patients. Those things exist. Those stereotypes, stereotypes can exist because that might, that, that might be what's happening or what they're seeing. So how do you change that? You change that by having conversations. Discuss your patients with your nurse, your RT, your, MT, your MDs. Have conversations articulate your concerns, articulate the things that you think should be included in their plan of care. That's where it starts. It starts at creating a relationship. I will tell you 
that even when I was in a residency program for cardiac palm, I learned so much from my RTs. And it was very casual. It wasn't like I was going in with this like list of things that I wanted to learn or, um, you know, demands of what I wanted to see happen. It kind of just happened, right? You're working with a patient with a vent. The RT is definitely going to be around. You start having conversations with the RT about the vent. I learned a ton about vent settings from my RT. I learned how to suction from my mentors in the cardiopalm residency, but I also learned tips and tricks from my RTs because while they were in the room suctioning, I would ask questions. I would inquire. Relationship building, relationships, communication, um, in my opinion, are always better when it's organic and when there's no expectation, you know, deemed after that, right? Like, I'm going to do this for you, so I expect you to do this for me. No, you create relationships. You show them who you are. You show them what you're capable of doing. You, you build rapport. It takes time. And so that can sometimes be frustrating when you're trying to get things done or you're trying to make a change because change takes time and it takes a ton of patience. And if culture is already in existence, and I'm saying culture kind of in a negative connotation, if there's already existing, existing culture, if there is turf war type stuff or like weird relationships that are in existence between departments, it's going to take longer. So I want to kind of blanket statement that if you don't, if your PT department doesn't currently practice airway clearance techniques, then in-service is a good start. Collaboration is a good start where you could create an in-service where the PT does a piece of that in-service and the RT does another piece of that in-service. Obviously having conversations with your supervisor is a good opening piece and also see kind of where they're at. Um, Because if your supervisor isn't on board, it's going to be even more difficult. It's not impossible, but it's going to be it might feel like an uphill challenge. If we're talking about solely breathing exercises, solely percussion, vibration manually, um, those are things I think are easier to start, right? Having conversations. First of all, are you comfortable with these techniques? Did you learn them in school? Did you take a continuing ed course? Like where, where are your skill sets coming from? Then talk about it with your staff. Now, if we have to deal with um, other disciplines, it's time to have some conversations. It can start very casually. For instance, some who does what and how they do it can be different. For instance, a lot of RTs uh, in, in different hospital settings might have um, productivity standards as well, or maybe they're their main focus are breathing treatments. And if you have to do 30 breathing treatments in a day and you're one of four, 
maybe you don't have time to do percussion vibration with a percussor or manually. So just even learning like their, I don't want to say priorities, but like what are the main interventions that they're providing to their patients? Because it might very much be different for any, like, you know, the needs of the person, which I would assume. But for instance, if your RTs are only doing breathing exercises, well, then that leaves conversation to be had about doing more manual type um, interventions, whether it's a collaboration, whether it's like, hey, I'm going to see the patient in the morning and I'm going to do these three things. So if you're planning on also doing percussion, maybe you can plan for the afternoon, whatever the, you know, whatever is going to maximize that patient's outcome. And I think when having these conversations, that's the piece you have to focus on, the patient. Because then it, it becomes less about what can a PT do? What can an RT do? Because it can feel like, you know, a little confrontational. From a blanket black and white, for the most part, PTs can do airway clearance techniques, which include percussion, vibration, and even suctioning. And so can RTs. Let's talk about suctioning because I brought it up last week with tracheostomy. Suctioning is a high level skill. And if you are not already doing that in your department, then that would be a conversation before you suctioned your first patient. Even if you have skill and ability to already do that and knowledge, okay? Because suctioning is something that can lead to potentially a decline, desaturation. If you don't know what you're doing, you could potentially hurt the patient. Um, so there's a, there's some like specifics about that. If suctioning is something you want to learn how to do, and PTs aren't currently doing that, this could be a great way to start collaborating with RT. RT, or the RT department, could potentially do the training to teach the PTs how to suction. So now we're we're communicating between two disciplines, right? It's not just that I am I can do this, I'm allowed to do this. It's <clears throat> hey, this is something I would really love to learn. I think it could maximize my time with the patient and also not have to have you on standby if I'm mobilizing the patient because I know that when I am doing these things, the patient is going to need to be suctioned and it would be more beneficial for both of us if I could provide suctioning during my session than have to rely on the nurse or the RT coming in. And then I would highly recommend creating a competency, meaning if you're on a floor that has patients who are on vents, who have trachs, who require suctioning, that before you treat these patients, you have to pass your competency. And that might look different everywhere, right? It might be a competency that you perform with RTs initially. And then maybe there's peer-to-peer training so that there's like a head PT that does the training eventually. And then you're passing the competency with that person before going out and doing on your own. 
There are lots of great ways to learn skills like this. Um, simulation labs are like super popular right now, but they're not always available in hospital settings. They're becoming more available in academic settings. But some form of practice where you can practice hands-on skills. In the residency, when I was a mentor, I actually created a, I should do this again. Um, I actually created a mock um, trachea with a trach, and then you could practice with either the inline suctioning or the red robin so that you can start to get some of the hands-on skills. If you've ever learned a new skill, period, you know there's a little bit fumbling. And then when you're doing something that can potentially desaturate a patient, there's going to be a little bit of that higher stress feeling. So you want to kind of get some of those kinks out before you practice on a human. And then you should be observing your mentor doing it on a person first. Then when you perform it for real, that mentor should be with you the first time, right? So that there's this learning experience. There's mentoring. There's there's definite that this is going to go okay. Same is true for percussion. Percussion vibration um, can lead to desaturation. You need to understand what contraindications do exist, like when you should and should not perform percussioning. If you're doing it with your hands versus an actual percussor, knowing how that feels, how to use the device, um, knowing that if you have a more frail patient that we should be covering over bony prominences. We shouldn't be going over bony prominences, but we should be covering anyway, right? Because if you're on the anterior wall, you're over ribs. And if you have a very cachectic patient, those ribs are very prominent and can be uncomfortable. Same true for the spine area, right? Avoiding the spine, avoiding the scapula, and actually performing it on your mentor so they can give you feedback. And then when you perform it on a patient, having your mentor there, observing your mentor performing these things on a patient. And then this is always a, a great learning experience. Your mentor performs percussion, vibration, whatever. Then you perform it on the same patient. And then the patient can give you the feedback to what it feels like. Is it strong enough? Is it too light? Is it too aggressive? What have you. But when you are doing skills that you are new to um, or you know, you're trying to implement for the first time, this is what it could look like. Um, so airway clearance techniques, percussion, vibration, shaking, suctioning, those things can be so beneficial for your patient. They are skills that you as a PT may have learned in your program, your PT program. They're skills that you may have learned in a residency. They're skills that you may have learned in a CEU course. Yes, you should be able to utilize those skills with your patient, and that will help your patient's outcomes. But culture in a hospital plays a role, whether we like it or not. And if we're going to start implementing these techniques and you're the first person to do it, then it's a different conversation. It's a PT department conversation, then it's a collaboration conversation. Is it possible? Yes. My black and white answer is both PT and RT should be performing airway clearance techniques for their patients. I think how you word questions can 
kind of dictate um, can, what's the right way to say this? How you word questions can give multiple types of answers or have people read into them a certain way. If you were to ask me, well, who's responsible for doing PT, uh, chess PT, tone, right, can play a, a role in that. Obviously, you don't get that when you're on text, but sometimes that could kind of feel like blame, right? Like, well, RT should be doing this three times a day or PT should be doing this three times a day. That's where I would say it, it really should rely on both and there should be collaboration and conversation because that patient's going to get more overlap if both disciplines are providing skilled intervention related to breathing and airway clearance techniques, period, end of story. If you are the first person to go and do this, it can be done. It will take time. Stay confident. Keep pushing. But understand that building rapport and trust is going to be part of that process and probably a bigger part than maybe we realize in the beginning. So collaboration's key, communication's key, um, changing culture takes time. So I think this was a great question. Thank you so much, Shelby, for posing it. Um, I would love to see more PTs doing more breathing and airway clearance techniques on a daily basis in multiple settings, not just acute care. And so I hope that some of these conversations can start broaching that uh, barrier. Okay, I think that's all I have for today. If you have any questions about breathing, airway clearance techniques, if there's specific things you want to hear about, I would love to um, discuss these further. Um, if you have any ideas for, um, you know, specific podcast cases or specific podcast uh, topics, please let me know. Reach out on Instagram or via text. My information is in the show notes. Um, and that's it. That's all I have. So I hope you all have a wonderful day. And whatever you have to do, a good afternoon.